All right. Well, oh, happy day. Uh, let's see. December 26th, I took, moved Kelly and Zach to uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. On the way home, uh, Brenda got me a book uh, titled Happiness by Randy Alcorn, and I listened to that on the way home as I drove home, and I listened to about eight hours worth of happiness, and that was about a third of the book, and uh, it just really got me to thinking, though, and I just I, I, some questions that came to mind is, does God want me to be holy or happy or both? Is joy spiritual and happiness secular? Is happiness even in the Bible? Is God happy? Have you ever thought about that? Is God happy? Was Jesus happy when he walked the earth? Big question, so what's the point? What difference does it make if God is happy or that I'm happy? So as I was thinking about those questions, one verse in the Bible that has always I just really amazed me was Zephaniah 3.17. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at the book of Zephaniah today and starts on page 1084 in the Pew Bible. So I decided, you know, if I was going to take a look at Zephaniah 3.17, which talks about how happy God is about us, I thought it would make sense to look at the context of the verse. I mean, where, where does this come out of? So I actually decided just to do an overview of the whole book of Zephaniah, and I titled the message, Holy and or Happy. Uh, just to give you a little background, Zephaniah lived during the reign of King Josiah, which many of us, uh, of us have heard about. Josiah was a young king, and by the time he was a late teenager to early 20s, he was a reforming king, and each cleaned out the temple, did a lot of things in Judah and Jerusalem to, to restore that country back to serving God. Um, at that time, the northern tribes had already been into exile, and this was a few years before Daniel ended up in Babylon. So I haven't read this in any of the uh, commentaries, but I think if you do the math, there's a pretty good chance that Daniel heard the prophecies of, Jer- of Zephaniah, which is really sort of inter- interesting to think about. Evidently, not all the Jews repented and followed God because this is a message in the book of Zephaniah of the day of the Lord. Now, Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord more than any other prophet other than the prophet Joel. And he really talks about it as having two faces. And first of all is the face of judgment. And as we look through the book of Jeremiah quickly, we're going to grab some verses and just take a look at God's judgment of the, this would be the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So if you want to follow on the screen or look through your Bible, we're in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. And God's, or Zephaniah said, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. This is God speaking through him. And against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests and the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also swear by Malcolm. You know, as I read these verses, I want you to think, does this sound like our culture today? I mean, does this sound like you or me? So those who swear by the Lord, but also swear by another God. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. If we jump over to verse 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps 
and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. In other words, God's not interested. He's not involved. Verse 18 in chapter 1, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land will, shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. In chapter 2, verse 15, this is the re- rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none besides me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. In verse 311. In that day you shall be not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will make a way, excuse me, for then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. The New Living Testament says, I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. So that's a picture of the judgment that's coming on Judah and Jerusalem because of their irreverence of God, their not thinking that he's involved and trying to seek uh, satisfaction from other sources. Now, the other theme of the day of the Lord is a theme of promised blessing. In chapter 2, verse 3, maybe if I get my glasses, I'll be able to see my notes. It says, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That would be a blessing to be hidden. Chapter 3, verse 5, the Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. In 3, 9, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. 3, 12, and 13, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people. And they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. The end of chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom is its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. So here's just a, that's a crash course and a picture of the blessings and the judgment from the book of Zephaniah. But there's four amazing verses in chapter 3 that I want to just take a little bit of closer look. So I'd like you to look, if you have your Bibles, open up to Zephaniah 3, 14. 
And I've titled this Anticipated Salvation. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. That would be Jerusalem. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. It's really interesting here because Zephaniah is telling this faithful remnant of God followers to sing, to shout, to be glad, which means to be happy, to rejoice with all their heart in the midst of the suffering. Because when Zephaniah was prophesying, there was a lot of suffering in Judah at the time as they anticipate their future salvation. Um, if you go to the next slide, row, it says the ESV study Bible commentary says, as in the Psalms, people even in the throes, which means pain and agony of suffering, are called to worship and give thanks for their anticipated salvation. You know, how many of you really enjoy singing on Sunday mornings? You don't have to raise your hand. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this lesson, I spent a lot of years hiding behind a bass guitar and wasn't smart enough to play bass and sing, all right? But since I haven't been playing bass, I've started to open my mouth and realizing that what an awesome privilege to sing to God. Wow, it's amazing that we have that opportunity. What makes you shout? Uh, there's probably going to be a little shouting tonight in the Super Bowl. I don't know if in your household or not, but there's, there's going to be some shouting. Who was telling us? Oh, Carla had this story of growing up, and her, her dad would have her and her brother pick teams before the Super Bowl, and they had to wear face paint, and, choose it, and they would cheer and shout for the team that they wanted to win. Probably most of us aren't doing that anymore. Well, some of us are. But have you seen the crazies at football games? There's some shouting going on. There's some real shouting. Well, here we're called to shout to God. You know, be glad. Glad means to be happy, to rejoice, is to feel joy or great delight with all our heart. Is that the way you and I worship on Sunday mornings? Is that the way we worship in our quiet times? Are we happy, rejoicing with all our heart? That's a pretty convicting thought for me. Verse 15 says, the Lord has taken away your judgment. So, you know, what does this salvation look like that we're anticipating, that Zephaniah was asking the nation of Israel to anticipate? The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. When you think about those four promises, as a follower of Christ, we have those first three right now, right? Has the Lord taken away our judgment? Amen? He's cast out our enemy, and he's in our midst. Wow. I'm looking forward to no more disasters. But we're living in a time now where we're experiencing much of the salvation that God has provided. Verse 16, it says, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The suffering was so severe at that time in Judah and Jerusalem that people were just limp-handed. They couldn't even move. They were so weak. I think sometimes we get that way. Verse 17 is the verse that we just want to take a real close look at. 
Is God happy? Verse 17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst. That means a position of closeness to the members of a group. The mighty one will save. Now look at these three, verse, these three lines. He, God, will rejoice over you with gladness, with happiness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you as singing. Have you ever thought about God singing about you? Singing about me? That's mind-boggling. Wow. You know, when you think about, is God's God happy? You know, one of the questions we want to ask here is happy or happiness even in the Bible? In Randy Alcorn's book, and I looked through the Strong's Concordance, 20 times in the Old Testament is the word happy or happiness and seven times in the New Testament. That's in the King James Version. You know that some of the modern versions have taken happiness and made it more sacred and made it blessed rather than just happy? It's really pretty amazing. This actually comes from a word called Asher, which can be interpreted either way. You know, this really surprised me when I read this in the book. What about leaders, church leaders from the past? Did they use happy or sacred? Now, the pilgrims don't come across, or the Puritans don't come across to me as a real happy group, okay? At least in the, 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 the way they've been portrayed to me. But listen to this Pur- Puritan scholar named Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks said, All the happiness and blessedness of the people of God consists in this, that God is their God and that he is their portion and that they are his inheritance. Oh, the heaped up happiness. That's amazing. Heaped up happiness of those whose God is the Lord. The happiness of such is so great and so glorious as cannot be conceived as cannot be uttered. Nothing can make that man truly miserable who has God for his portion, nor can anything make that man truly happy who lacks God as his portion. For is that, or God is that author of all true happiness. God is the donor of all true happiness. God is the maintainer of all true happiness. God is the center of all true happiness and blessedness. Therefore, he who has him for his God, for his portion, is the only happy man in the world. Charles Spurgeon, another guy I didn't picture as being a real happy character. Charles Spurgeon said, if you knew anything of the joy of the happy God, you would understand that a truly Christian life cannot be an unhappy one. How about today? John Piper who, if you've read any of John Piper's, John Piper's about as straight of an arrow as you can find. This is what John Piper says about Psalm 45 and Hebrews 1. Jesus Christ is the happiest being in the universe. His gladness is greater than all the angelic gladness of heaven. He mirrors perfectly the infinite, holy, indomitable, which means impossible to defeat, myrrh, Laughter of his father. Randy Alcorn in his book said, In a fallen world, our happiness will be in fact punctuated by times of sorrow. 
But happiness in God can and should be the norm rather than the exception. So as I was thinking about this and reading these verses and thinking about God being happy, I just really thought about, so what's the point? What difference does it make if God is happy or that I'm happy? Well, sermons are supposed to have three points. So here's the point number one. Holiness and happiness. Happiness is what the world is searching for. It's what the world is dying for. Would you agree? Just think about that. Kids in our community are dying for lack of happiness. It can't be found apart from meeting our Heavenly Father. It's a result of becoming more like Jesus. So God wants, to live, wants us to live a holy life, but he also wants us to be happy. Second thought, what kind of heavenly father do you have? It's neat how God uh, provides lessons as I was thinking about this lesson. I was driving home late one night after a basketball game, and I'm pretty sure it was Colin Smith on the radio, on Christian radio. And he was telling the story that a young boy invites a friend to spend the night. The father is grumpy and shows little interest as he peeks over the evening newspaper. He's willing to let the guest stay only because he loves his son. Have you ever thought that maybe God is like that grumpy old father that peeks over the newspaper and begrudgingly lets us hang out with his son? That couldn't be farther from the truth, according to Zephaniah 3.17, that God actually is singing over you and I, that he is happy and glad that we are part of his family. And the last point, how can I be happy when the world around me is crumbling? You know, I had to chew on that one for a while. You know, does my lack of happiness communicate to God and to a lost and dying world that God is not enough or that he has not done enough. That's pretty, that's, uh, I thought that this morning at the breakfast table. And does my lack of happiness communicate to God and to a lost and dying world that God is not enough or that he has not done enough? If people are looking for happiness, and they are, we need to be the answer for that because of the happiness we have as a result of knowing Christ. So how can I be happy when the world's crumbling around me? Well, my happiness is in God and in my anticipated salvation. Secondly, I have to recognize that God is good and sovereign and that he loves me perfectly. And finally, how can I be happy when the world around me is crumbling? I need to make sure that Christ is my life, that he's not just something added on to my list of many things that I need. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Here's the key. Set your mind on things above, 
not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I'm pretty sure that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be empathetic and sympathetic to the people around us. But what God's word said is that we should be the happiest people on this planet because of what God has done for us. And what he has done for that person that's sorrowing, and we need to be that messenger and tell them of the God that loves them. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, I ask you to uh, forgive me for the many times that I have let circumstances uh, dictate my attitude, the way I respond to other people. Sometimes, Lord, even the way I respond to you. Just pray that you would forgive me for that. Lord, help me to always recognize that you are singing over me with joy, that you're happy that I'm a part of the family. And Lord, that would cause me to live in such a way that I would seek out those that are hurting, that those that are lost, and share with them the good news of a father that truly loves them. Lord, help us to leave this place today full of your joy and happiness that we belong to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.